0: We are in mid-season form. Every day is the Super Bowl for us, buddy. I'm going to call our
1: bluff. We said we're going to be more professional, more prepared, make this podcast even better than ever, and we're the same old jackasses. Welcome into episode 226.
0: (laughs) Wait a minute. The fact that you knew what episode it was means that we're more on top of it than last year, because when you got to two, I was like, I have no idea what the next two numbers are going to (laughs) be.
1: 226. We did make it past the 225 threshold. We haven't retired yet.
0: But we're no, trying. We're trying. We, we're trying to we do get other. closer,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, everybody welcome in. Just a quick heads up, this will be a slightly shorter podcast than normal, probably closer to 45 minutes only because Mike and I are both scrambling to get ready for NAM. I'm trying to cram a million things in before I actually get on the road. I'm driving down, so I've got a a 6-hour drive. So that's always a weird thing where it's like a crazy scramble mm-hmm. to get in a car and then you sit for 6 hours. Trying to like decompress from the scramble that it took just to you know it's like well I, I won't be there for a while. What you you know, do you do when you get there? Do you you chill out or you go straight into the fire? Well, in, it depends. So this time I'm going down a day early. So Wednesday I'll be at my brother in law's house uh, just to see family and okay, hang, cool. and then I'll and he's in Thousand Oaks, so he's about an hour and a half away from Anaheim where the uh, Nam is taking place. So then on Thursday morning, which is day one of Nam, I'll drive down there. And yeah, I think I'll probably go for like an 11 a.m. walk in and then you just and because I, I prefer to see as many people as I can while they're fresh. I know that by Saturday it's game yeah. over, they're just like, sick. Up, I mean, dude?
1: yeah, the, the germs are well spread by then, so
0: yeah, handshake's and, and the minimum. <laughs> and I did you see do you know Mike Nealand? Over at Ludwig, yes, yes. Okay, I did you yeah. see his post? No, I didn't. I oh my god, it was. Oh epic. wait a minute, was that the the stickers? The stickers on his laptop? Yeah, yeah. What well, what did they say? It was pretty. Good. Oh god, they were so good. I, I won't look it up, but it it was pretty much like stop. Don't ask me for an endorsement. It's not. This is not why we're here. And and then he, and then the, in the text he went in, and it was it was pretty cool. It was a little bit of honesty from inside of our industry. Mike Nealon's an awesome guy. He was actually. uh my A&R for quite a while at Gretsch before he moved over to Ludwig so I've known him mm. for a good amount of time he's a good dude he's a monster drummer he's in a police tribute band and oh, so he's right. got all that Stuart Copeland stuff on lock so. I think he worked at GC before that Yes, yep. So yeah, he's been in the industry for a long so time. So, shout out to Mike Nealand. the
1: darkness on NAM when you've been in the industry for that long. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> it <laughs> is all in jest, I think. I think it's all in jest.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I mean, it's a tough thing every year. I go through with, with any Mike's Lesson student that's going to go to NAM. I'm always trying to let them know, like, hey, go observe. And if anything, if you truly are at that level of your career where it's time to get an endorsement, just put a name or a face to the name and get their business card, shake their hand and say, Hey, it's great to meet you. I know that the next month is complete chaos for you, mm. but if it's okay, I'd love to reach out maybe sometime in mid February and just chat to, to you about what I'm doing and then walk away. And yeah. the A&Rs will appreciate that so much more than you handing them some antiquated CD <laughs> with like, like, Hey, this is my band. Uh, we're going on tour. Like, Cool. And so I'm supposed to ship you a free kit because of that. Like that's not how it's going to work. And they're just they're so wrecked by then. So just go in, meet them, be as kind as possible, get their business cards so that you have their contact information, and boom, so be done with it. My strategy this
1: year is I usually I carry a like a shoulder bag, a briefcase, messenger bag, Yep. and then I end, inevitably end up with like 30 pounds of literature that I have to carry around for four days. So this year my strategy is I'm going in with nothing. So boy, my excuse
0: is. I just don't have anything to carry it in. Can you just Sorry, man. Email it to me. I mean, whatever yeah. you need to do. So you're gonna go? Is there any way you have a like a CD or <laughs> no? Not even.
1: I don't want no, you I that. Know. <laughs> it's like you can. I don't even know if I'm gonna take business cards. I, that's kind of been a, a bit of a jerk move recently, where I just don't carry business cards either. I'm like, yeah, you can.
0: You could find me on the website. <laughs> I feel bad. Yeah, I've never had a business card, and every time I go to Nam, I always feel like I really should have a business card but I also feel like I didn't name the website some insanely difficult url it's mikeslessons.com you can find me man and because there's no real company I mean there's no like massive employees info at mikeslessons.com goes to my actual inbox on my personal email right yeah it's easy to get a hold of me and then I'll I won't respond but then you can always email amber at mikeslessons.com and she will Man, we sound like jerks. So let's talk about the good side of NAM. What do you what are you looking forward to? Uh I will say this. I'm looking forward to a couple things. One, the gear in general. I'm I haven't bought a snare drum in a while because I've been I've spent the whole year leading up to the NAM release of mm-hmm. the Brooklyn Standard. Now I'm kind of excited to to look at some things on the camper level. I I really mean this from the bottom of my heart and I think you know from talking to me outside the podcast. I have my snare drum. I love it. I mm-hmm. really do. I choose to play it. And I, I've been very honest with other people too. If I had two snares, it would be my snare or the Brooklyn Standard and the a f 14x5 brass, raw brass. Mm-hmm. I'm done. That's all I need. So it's not all about being a Gretsch honk. But now I'm getting into that mindset of what we talked about earlier with some other companies uh, or last week about – now I want to have more things for my students, for my mm-hmm. campers. You yeah. know, I'm I'm missing some some standards that um excuse the pun, but I'm missing a few things. I don't I still don't have an Acrolite. So I, it's mm-hmm. like okay, just get over it and buy one. Uh so I got to get one of those this year. Uh I'd like to have uh a few other things. I have I have some steam bent shells cuz I have some of uh what's his name? The guy that you know uh he makes steam beds. I'm, I'm making a steam I mean, bed look. You have Doc Sweeney uh, stuff, right? Doc Sweeney. That, yeah, so I have yeah. a couple Doc Sweeney's. Uh, I have a <laughs> the guy that a you stave. know. Uh, everyone in the drums. <laughs> <industry. laughs> you know, the guy that makes drums. Um, so I have some Doc Sweeney stuff. I have obviously Jefferson's stave drum here. And now I just need to fill in some gaps. So I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to, I put out a new video today on Instagram with somebody that I've never played drums with. And it was a collaboration of how do mm-hmm. you collaborate with somebody, a drummer? How do you jam with a drummer if you have if you can't be in the same area as them? And so I did a collaboration with uh, Jessica Bordeaux, so at jbirdsbeats on Instagram. And we made a double bass part between the two of us. So what I'm excited about is I think I know she's going to be there. So oh, cool. we're going to actually get to do that in person. Right? Wow! Yeah, so I'm like, what booth would we not feel bad if they got shut down? <laughs> so we have to. I, I think we're just going to play like a mezzo piano version of it at the A and F booth at some point in time. So yeah, I mean, do that. Yeah. I mean, that but that booth is going to be chaos. Yeah, I'm we'll gonna see. It's going to be just that's right. In the or heart we'll just of it. we'll just take over that main stage out by the food trucks and there just rock go. it for an hour straight. <laughs> so yeah uh so yeah well, I'm excited we do about have a that. meet up at the big fat snare drum booth you could do it there there we go that's Boom. friday at one right is not that what we friday said friday at one see you guys there and i think that that's probably what i'm most excited about overall is that type of stuff seeing you there getting to hang with you getting to hang with ash just seeing a lot of friends that i, I don't get to see hardly enough what about you man what are you excited about what are you not jaded over the gear <laughs> the gear
1: still gets me really? juiced up. Yeah, That's I mean awesome. it, I'm getting way more um f- fickle about what actually excites me, but I still just really get inspired just to see what everyone's going for and see what might be a trend or or, may, or an accidental trend or who's bucking the trends or who's who's trying something totally new. Right. You know, it, it's just always. I mean, we're just a crazy lot—drummers and drum builders—and I mean, it's there's always some crazy stuff. But at the same time, like that could be a game changer. Like I know, um, uh, Dial Tune the snare drum with the the cable system. Yep. They're good. They're kind of making a big, like, production level debut now. So those drums are going to be available. That's those awesome. Those are those are pretty freaking awesome to be able to yeah. tune the entire drum with just two knobs um and it works it definitely works so you know just seeing who else is going to come at out with something cool like that um and then what else am i excited about? i mean i have some inside scoop on some of my friends who were making who got some contracts with some of the bigger dogs so just to see who's building wow. for other people and how that's going to shake down and
0: so oh, that's you, cool. you don't mean like you don't mean drummers getting artist deals you mean production deals yeah exactly
1: yeah that's a bit of an inside game. I probably shouldn't talk too much about, but it's you know yeah, it'd be but, cool to see how that, that's that
0: happened. That thing in general, I mean, we've seen that happen where OCDP went to then Guitar Center, yeah, buy right. that eventually. So we've seen that stuff happen before, and it, and it's a scary time. It's almost like your favorite indie band getting their first major label record deal. Like, yeah. oh god, are, oh, will you still be my band <laughs> right. once this happens? <laughs> yeah, man. I that that's. I, it's like please please I, every time I think of like my Cherry Hill like drum key I'm like please just don't all of a sudden like have the like the color start rubbing off and I'm like wait this is a chrome drum key
1: <laughs> damn you but, I mean the big thing for me is to see what happened with the integrity of the, of the original product of the thing that I loved yep. about it and then did the other company decide they had to change a bunch about it therefore it's no longer what I loved from the other manufacturer yeah so Absolutely. that I'm, I'm really curious to see, or is it an improvement? Like-
0: or yeah, or is it the dream where it's like, cool, now what you've been doing that only a few people knew about is available to everybody, yeah. and because of the scale, the the cost came down a little bit, something like that. I mean, that's that stuff's great, and I think that uh, it's it's fun to watch that stuff, and and we want, unlike wanting to keep our little local bands to ourselves, we want our <laughs> drum companies to succeed. We want their we need this industry to grow constantly. It's, it's tough. I mean, we, you and I have talked about it a million times, but the volume of this instrument mm-hmm. holds us back from growing at the pace of guitar, bass, or something else. Yeah. And, and so electronics we need just we can. don't do
1: it. I mean, it, electronics are cool, but they're a different thing. They remove yeah. the visceral yeah. appeal of playing drums. So then you're automatically, it's, it's okay. What I like about drums is that they're loud. Okay, well, here's an instrument that's not
0: loud. (laughs) I got to say, from traveling so much in Asia over the last couple years, I, I think we're eventually going to be at a place where electric drums will be more popular than real drums, but they will actually be segmented into their own category like oh you're an electric you're an e-kit player because you you grew up in an apartment you've only ever played on an e-kit and mm-hmm. you've never played on a real drum set i mean if 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 your entire society is building up and going into apartments and into flats then drum set isn't going to make it there and then there will be that world that we live in which is the acoustic world and and, and i mean obviously i think the hybrid world will definitely keep building forever yeah, but there will eventually be somebody that ha- is a fantastic, fantastic e-kit player and has most likely never touched a real drum set in their lives.
1: Yeah, and I think um, the
0: language has to change too. You're you're kind of
1: seeing that with artists like Billie Eilish. Like she has a live drummer, but he's not playing traditional drum stuff. He's recreating right. program stuff, so the language is just different. And I kind of like yeah. that. Like what let the instrument create a new language for us. Rather I totally than agree. Learn all your classic rock songs on an e-kit.
0: Yeah, I I think that that's. I'm. You know that I've got my own e kit issues that I just can't work through, even with a therapist. I just. (laughs) They're just not drums, and I won't admit that they're drums. That's my practice pad. Your e kit is my practice pad. (laughs) (laughs) But at, at the same time, I. I think I get more upset when the E-Kit is trying to be like, no, 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 we've got the true resonance of a 10-inch Tom in, in this warehouse. And I'm like, I don't really care about that. Like, honestly, if I'm going to play an E-Kit, let it be an E-Kit. I'll play, yeah, you know, I like, think, yeah. give me the 808 setting, and I'll happily play that thing all day because <laughs> I can't do that on my drum set.
1: And there's certain things you learn, like when you have to play with the trigger, your precision and and consistency is super exposed absolutely so why would absolutely. you want the pad to respond like an acoustic drum i want to be challenged by the difficulty of managing with one or two samples like it's right. a kick that hits full volume all the time okay yeah. now make some music that doesn't sound really
0: ridiculous with pads <laughs> totally not an easy thing to do not an easy thing to do all right well let's get into some stuff so we are going to skip all our right. educational segment this week because we've got a doozy for you and we want to save that when we have full time for it so we'll be bringing you a full lesson next week on sticking exercises and stickings in general and why they're so important so we'll get into that next week right now we need to talk about something sad but when you really look back on it something absolutely incredible which is the life and career of the great neil peart we just lost him this week
1: yeah pretty amazing um I think it came as a shock to a lot of people. Uh, I know there's a there's a small group group of people on the inside that knew that he was sick, but they it was definitely everyone was respecting his privacy. So I, it might have been a couple years of him dealing with uh, brain cancer, but even still it just was like a shock wave. I don't think I've seen any response to a drummer or even a musician passing in my lifetime where it's like Everyone has a comment about this. It was kind of shocking, and I mean, also the age of social media. It's kind of the first huge hero that I think we've seen pass. Right? Can I think of anyone else in the? Yeah, I mean, we've had
0: a few, but not quite this big. And Neil is one of those those drummers that is his name is known by non drummers. He's a famous human being. Yep. Um, And yeah, you know, I mean, just to show his impact we were supposed to announce on friday the 21 drums camp for 2020 mm-hmm. and as soon as the news came and we were literally minutes away we all, we all had like a 2pm deadline and then the news kind of hit instagram and and social media at about 1:40pm uh, our time and then all of us without talking to each other all just randomly texted each other we have to cancel the announcement give yeah. this this is literally a hero to our community give this tell monday just to breathe and let people reset from this like let's not do this and uh, we all just kind of stepped away for a bit and it was great to see everyone posting pictures the pictures i'm used to seeing when someone passes away but mm. man if you get into those text threads and just read people's comments and these are some of the most famous drummers living today and how mm. much this man impacted them
1: yeah, it's, it's undeniable. I mean, it, I was trying to think back through my own personal because I saw one post that was a little bit snarky, but at the same time, it was it was pretty accurate. It was something about like, you know, every every <laughs> every musician forty and up is going to comment about Neil Peart. And I thought about that. I was like you know what, that's pretty accurate because I'm I'm just turning forty one, and I didn't really become conscious of of Rush their early career until much later it wasn't when their album presto came out it was the year i started playing drums so and i was watching mtv and show don't tell was a hit single on mtv and i had no idea that they were this legendary band i was like whatever it is this is badass and i've got to listen to it more and more and more so i think i was at that cusp of of discovering rush without someone telling me to maybe the next generation it's handed down from teachers and parents and brothers yeah. but for me it was just mtv played this debut song from this new band that i'd never heard of before and the drums are loud and i like i'm it. in the same boat <laughs> and you know
0: it's funny at that same time they were um they were also playing i get by by the grateful dead which was a brand new band in like 94 and i was like dad dad you got to check out this new band the grateful dead they're amazing i think maybe they're going to go out on tour with rush so i was thinking about it so cool for all these grandpas to start a band totally that's amazing there's still hope for all of us so i was thinking on the drive-in today about neil and his drumming and why Why did this one hook us drummers so much? And I was going back through the timeline. I would say that my lexicon of music kind of stops at about the late 60s. As far as when I go back in time, I don't really have a great reference for everything that's ever happened musically. But I couldn't remember a a drummer that was in a, a fusion slash prog band that wrote parts that were through Composed. Like Mm -hmm. usually people played drums and then someone transcribed them. It seemed like Neil literally wrote these drum parts and I think it appealed to drummers. I remember learning Tom Sawyer and as a guy that grew up in school band and marching band and jazz band, learning Tom Sawyer out of a chart was actually quite easy. It was note for note, very easy to follow. It was hard to play, but it was right there. And then when I look at somebody transcribing like a Tony Williams thing, it's like, Wait, what? That's there's so much going on, but yeah. this stuff was so well thought out and so logical. It was like the most logical prog drumming ever.
1: Yeah, yeah. I went through at the time, Lit- of course. Watched a lot of the documentaries, and, and he kind of explains what I think. This is my opinion, but I think what gets overlooked with Neil's genius is that there is this super thoughtful, very kind of like narrative to his drumming, to where he even says, I have a a big fill that's going to happen at the end of the song, so I've got to foreshadow it in the beginning. He thinks kind of like a writer, like a literary writer. right? But at the same time, he says all this stuff develops while the band is rehearsing. So it's not like he goes off on his own and writes these amazing parts and it presents them to the band. They get together, they just jam, and then over the course of a hundred times playing the song, his part becomes what it is. So that... And
0: solidified, yeah.
1: That dichotomy of him where... And also, he's he's hitting. He's not playing like polite. He's hitting the right. drums. So there's this like rock raw thing that he's got, and then this extreme kind of poetic, literary version. I think that gets overlooked. Like we think of him as being this the professor quote unquote, but we forget that they're a rock band and they started out as kids just jamming, wanting to sound like the Who and you know all yeah. everybody's heroes. So, and I think he can retain that. Like he's. Doesn't overthink it, which I think can be for for bands who are trying to do the Rush thing. You can kind of overthink the music and get too complicated and too heady. Whereas there, he even says at one point that some of the odd time stuff he doesn't even know what time signature it is, and he doesn't want to know because they learned it as a band, and that's, that's cool. That's just the way it is. He could figure yeah. it out, but there's a certain kind of
0: rawness to that. It's it, it's hard to think of our current crop of. Prog drummers to to think of who they would be without Neil Peart. When I hear Portnoy, mm-hmm. uh, Gavin Harrison, Danny Carey, like there's so much Neil in all of that. Without yeah. ripping it off, I, I, I mean those guys are incredible artists, but it's undeniable. And I mean it's Neil and Rush. You yeah. can hear the the because I mean Neil can't do this by himself. He needed a place to put this stuff. Yeah, but man, yeah. I mean.
1: Even I down think to the kit. I mean, he kind of codified what the big, totally. the big drum set needs to
0: have. You've got to have splashes. you got to have chinas. you got to have one or two hi-hats. You've got to have a roundhouse yeah, toms. Well, and the thing is, there was so, there's so much spectrum on his kit. When you think, wow, I was just going to mention Billy Cobham, and then I threw out spectrum, and <laughs> there's just some Freudian stuff going on here. But when you think about Billy Cobham's big kits or the big fusion kits of the 70s, they were so bombastic. And Mm -hmm. then Neil came along, and there was like an 8-inch tom cranked and a 10-inch tom cranked. And you could hear, because I remember when Billy would do his, you know, just insane singles around the kit. It could have been done on one tom. Yeah, just a hurricane. I heard. (laughs) But when Neil did it, I heard. (laughs) I heard the actual pitches. And then, like you said, it wasn't a bunch of 18-inch crashes or 16-inch crashes. It was an 8-inch splash, a 10-inch splash. And you could you could just hear everything. I think until Carter Beaufort came along, mm. Neil was the only one where I could literally say, okay, cool, I can go buy that. Because that one note right there, I know what he did. I know what that was. It wasn't abstract at all. It was a 10-inch splash. And yeah, I right. get that. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And, yeah, the uh, ping yeah. ride. So, he kind of defined the ping ride. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and just that... Ding 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 da ding ding. Oh, all those little bell patterns. We we just had to had to get all that stuff down. And I mean he he also, at least to me, made odd time signatures a little more accessible. I don't know. I still, if somebody says as soon as they get to sev, I'm already saying <laughs> I, I, like, I mean that part of Tom Sawyer will always be seven for me. Watching people air drum a drum solo that was yeah. On the radio? It's yeah, it so cool to see that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to feel the shockwaves of this for a long time. Hopefully, it'll inspire some bands to go back to, you know, plan some music. But I think. We do have bands that are... I mean, Mars Volta, I think we would never have had if, if Rush didn't exist. Sure. Even elements of Foo Fighters, the, the, the kind of more proggy elements of some of their songs, it's clear yeah. that Dave Prohl loves Rush. <laughs> I mean, it's just... Sure. It's kind of everywhere, but yeah, hopefully it'll get a whole new crop. Yeah. So what we want to do here is take a slightly different approach to analyzing some of his drumming. So rather than go through the greatest hits of everything that everyone has kind of torn apart for decades... Uh, We're going to highlight just one of the later records in Rush's discography. This is the album Vapor Trails. Came out in the 2000s. And in our book off the record, we transcribed six different excerpts from this record. So I thought this would be a good spot to drop in some audio to kind of show, highlight some of classics, Neil's classic stuff, and then also how he kind of was still pushing himself into new directions at all times. Um, So the first one is the song called one little victory um i i admit i'm not a, a connoisseur of all things neil did but i don't think i've ever heard him kind of play like a blast beat sort of vibe um and this is him double bass snare on the offbeat super cool so it's the opening very opening thing from the track one little victory let's check it out
0: Yeah, I don't even know what you would call. That's it. just like a not a blast beat. I think I misspoke, but it just sounds like
1: something yeah. Anthrax or someone would have done.
0: Anthrax is great. I, I think that could have been the intro off of uh, Vitology by by Pearl Jam. Uh, you know? yeah. Like they they could have just swapped out whatever uh, Dave did in that and and thrown that in there. But it, it's just it's a very non Neil groove for sure. Yeah, I'm again, I'm, I would
1: like to know some more spots where he's playing double bass like that, but I don't, I can't think of it off the top of my, top of my head. So that's the first track. And then let's do, um, this one's way more subtle. This is the track Ghost Rider. And um, this kind of highlights for me how he was always using his hi hat to kind of color the grooves in really subtle but awesome ways. So if you go to f- around 45 seconds in the track, you'll hear him. In the second bar of the pattern he's one of these kind of half-open, partially-open hi-hat flourishes. Man.
0: Man, it's so hard not to just be like... Y'all done stole Neil's stuff because I can hear like <laughs> nine drummers right now. Uh, you know, I, and I definitely did not stick with Rush through the entire development. So I know they're classics. I've never been somebody that just sat down and was like, okay, I'm, I mean, besides in high school, I've never tried to learn a Rush song, but I've just appreciated it. But hearing this stuff, just even uh, one thing that definitely has been overshadowed, at least in our discussion, his tunings. Oh, my God, when you hear that groove, I'm like, yeah. there's six drummers, I can tell you right now. It's still tuned their drums, just <laughs> like Neil. That's
1: right. crazy. Yeah, I love it. I think he's, played like 30, he's playing 13-inch hats, so that's another kind of thing he's stuck with that buck trends over the years. So um, The next one is How It Is. This one um, showcases how he uses the crashes to kind of punctuate um, the grooves a little bit. So if you get around 145 in the track, you'll hear him... Throw in some cool crashes within this this classic Neil sixteenth note groove.
0: A of when tired of our
1: it's I never play fills with the crash, and that's a cool effect, but I just never do it.
0: Yeah. Man, this is fun. All right, Uh, so if you go to uh,
1: 310 in the same track, you're going to get the Neil Peart ride cymbal pattern. Okay. Man. That's like a greatest hit for Neil Peart. It's like he has to, every record has to yes. have that. And it's not yeah. because he doesn't have any other ideas. It's just the perfect choice at that point in the song.
0: Sometimes it's just the right thing to do. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. And, How do you and, think and of I've, that
0: pattern? Do you think of it as a paradiddle or do you think of it was Latin derivative? Um, yeah, I, I don't, I think of it as a nihilism. because mm. it's just, it's a melody uh, that, and and it's a melody that as soon as it happens, I'm like, come on, Johnston! Did you really just drop a kneel? Like, <laughs> and I, I've definitely done that quite a few times because it just feel once you learn it. You know, uh, most of us in our age category learn this in our teenage years. It just feels so good because you've been playing ding your whole life. Yeah, and as soon as you get that ding dun, 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 ding, <laughs> you're like oh biscuits, come on now. Uh, and then you and then you realize I can put this on the Toms I can put this yeah. anywhere and it's just this cool vibe so definitely um,
1: universal pattern it works
0: I mean you yeah. hear that in a lot of like uh, New Orleans grooves and
1: I mean it's it's just kind of there but it's yeah. still when it, when, in this context it always sounds like Neil Peart to me totally always our right, next song is Vapor Trail this is another one where he's using the Hi Hat for little subtle textures within some sixteenth notes. And in some like kind of like tambale sounding snare drum fills, so it's right around the forty-two second mark of Vapor Trail.
0: Man, do they have a Neil? snare reverb preset <laughs> dude
1: so check this out I went down the rabbit hole of Neil's snare drum sound over the years okay guess what if, uh, again anyone listening who's a Neil freak is probably like oh these guys are idiots
0: they don't know this but his number
1: one snare for years guess
0: what it was uh, what would you guess I'm I, well, I'm going to guess it wasn't the Neil Peart uh, D.W. <laughs> snare. I'm going to guess he didn't have that. Uh, it's a drum that God. both you and I own,
1: and you never would have ever thought in a million okay. years that it's Daniel's snare.
0: I have no idea.
1: It's the Slingerland 55 by 14 Shut artist. Shut up.
0: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. the, <laughs> I mean, not on There's, that track. That's obviously a more right. modern drum, but all the early classic. No way. So that dense, thick neil peart snare drum sound from the 70s that's that drum that we think only could do one thing
0: (laughs) what have mike and i been telling you it's the most versatile drum on the planet that's all we ever say so it's a
1: three-ply swingling artist model drum now go back and listen to those first three or four records that he played on you're like can i get my drum to do that i mean it's so classic (laughs) wow that's awesome that's really cool alright so if you go to uh, one minute and five seconds in that same track Vapor Trail you'll hear him throwing in uh, this is again something I don't know that he's done a ton of before this kind of like orchestrating the groove around the toms in a more kind of tribally melodic kind of way sort of Jeff Picaro sounding so 105 in Vapor Trail Mike Cachet, Jeff Picaro. I don't think Neil Peart when I hear stuff like that.
0: No, except for uh, the splashes at the end. <laughs> He's got to have those. Yeah. <laughs> Man, there's just little elements of it, it's. It's funny how we can be so influenced indirectly by somebody because as I'm hearing this, all of my heroes from my youth. I'm hearing Mike Borden. Mm. I'm hearing yep. Matt. Cha- uh, sorry, Matt Cameron. Yep, definitely. Uh, I'm hearing Tim Alexander. Yep. I mean, this is it's, it's awesome. So even when you're like, yeah, I'm not into Rush, it's like, yeah, you are. You yeah. just don't know who you are. <laughs> well, your heroes were into Rush, so you're yeah. into Rush. It's like saying you're not into Bob
1: Dylan, but you're into like singer-songwriter music. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. All right, next song is Nocturne. This happens around three minutes and 35 seconds. Um, just another perfectly constructed part, I think, that's not your typical rock drummer bit. Um, and also the fill at the end, where it goes from triplets to sixteenths, is just so neat. So this is three thirty-five in the song Nocturne.
0: Yeah, and th- those are the types of fills that I was talking about when we first started discussing this, which is. I when I hear that the drum nerd in me is like cool but there's another part of me that's like I think I could do that mm-hmm. I can hear it well enough that I can do it and he's got a little bit of that uh, uh, Ringo Starr thing as far as you know Ringo's quoted as saying when you play a fill like when the lyrics stop or when the vocals stop mm-hmm. Neil plays his stuff when there aren't a lot of other things happening so it's really easy to hear his drumming
1: yeah yeah, the band was when like he's made it, made for space, totally.
0: Him. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome, man. Uh, super cool. All right, let's end this segment with
1: one more tune. This is the track "Freeze." This is um, it's in five four, but it took me forever to actually hear it as five four. It doesn't sound like it. Again, I think it's a result oh. of you know the guys in rush getting together and playing parts. And hey, this happens to be an odd time, but you know we realize it much later. So this is at five twenty going to hear him do a lot of accents with the riff and then some just cool really simple but really powerful fills to kind of outline the hits so right on 520 in the tune freeze this is in 5/4. <laughs> Sounds like what bands are doing today to me. That actually, well, yeah, those hits were very
0: gente. Yeah, (laughs) jig 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 jig. Yeah, one two three four five. One two three four five. Woo, brother Neil. Wow. Well, I think as as sad as it is, I hate to, I don't know, not have feelings, but we're gonna die. Everybody gonna die. So, I'm going to throw it out there in case you weren't aware, Mike, you're going to die. So, I'm well aware, my brother. Well aware. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's just bred into that that kind of East Coast thing. Like you know, yeah, but, nothing really matters because we're all going to die anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Did you make a mark? Did you leave an impression? And it's a chance for us to realize instead of how sad I am that he's gone, I'm just so happy that we had him in the first place.
1: Yeah, I mean, think of what he accomplished in just sixty-seven years on Earth. I mean, how many well, books he's written? We even talk about his books and educational right. DVDs, and and quite honestly, he's a large uh, reason that Modern Drummer has been so successful over the years because he just created this rabid fan base that wanted sure. to read everything. So he's been on the cover thirteen times, I think. Wow! And it's not because we're we're trying to like Push those small balls. It's just every year there was something worth talking about and everyone wanted to read about it. So we're like, all right, let's just keep doing it. Top seller every single time. So short life in the grand scheme of things, but what in the world did he accomplish
0: in those 67 years? It's unbelievable. And you and I know a lot of people in the industry that uh, worked with him closely, especially as he made his move to DW Mm. and became a little bit more in front of the camera. I've never once run into somebody that had Anything even remotely negative to say or even had a weird vibe. It was like if I brought his name up, it was their chance to glow and be like, oh my gosh, he was here yesterday and he did this. And then you could yeah. hear him rehearsing for the new tour. And then you know, they just <laughs> go and go and you're like, okay, okay, cool, I think
1: uh, I think Grohl posted something about his one time meeting Neil. Neil made him a cup of coffee. And he was like, all right, my hero just made me a cup of coffee.
0: <laughs> That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember being at DW... Um, doing some stuff I might have no it was I was definitely still a DW artist but I was there doing something and he was there rehearsing for a, an upcoming rush tour and just the energy mm-hmm. in the building that you could overhear the muffled drumming of Neil rehearsing <laughs> for a rush tour everyone was just losing their minds I mean that, that's that's awesome we we still have superstars in our world in our in our industry And I think it's great when we get a chance to celebrate them. And the one thing that we can definitely say about Neil is everything that we've said on this podcast was said while he was alive. He was absolutely appreciated while he was alive. And we, like I said, I mean, just the two of us, if we get rid of how he affected the entire world, you and I have been so heavily influenced by him and the people that he influenced. Yeah, Yeah, it's
1: undeniable. I don't often go back to listen to these records, but when I do, I always hear something new. And that's. That's super cool to be like, all right, I haven't worn out these records. My tastes have kind of gone in other directions, but whenever I put on fly by night, I'm like, man, I don't even know this
0: record. (laughs) Like I literally don't know this record. Yeah. It's pretty inspiring. Well, we encourage all of you to go down the rush rabbit hole and just rediscover all this stuff. And then definitely discover the stuff that isn't on that easy to reach for shelf. Check it out. I think you will grow from it. And if any, if you're anything like Mike and I, you will hear, how much your heroes have been influenced by this great drama? All right, let's get into some gear. We're talking little Mapex. Yeah, this is, I guess,
1: kind of in line with Neil and the the big kit that can do all. The Mapex Black Panther Design Lab Versita System Kit is designed to be the one kit that can do everything you can ever imagine. It is essentially two, maybe three kits in one, depending on how you kind of configure it. Um, okay. Just just rattling off the specs would take an hour, but it is um, what it comes with is a 16 by 22 inch bass drum, a 12 by 18 auxiliary drum that can be set up as a bass drum or a tom, um, 7 by 10 and 7.5 by 12 rack toms, 13 by 14 and 15 by 16 floor toms. So that with that shell pack, you can then chop it up into a four piece kit that has more like a rock vibe with the 12 and the 16 and 22. You could have a bop kit or you can set them all up and have like the, you know, the studio kit that just leave it set up and you can cover anything you want. You can have a, with either the second bass drum on a remote pedal or up in a gong bass drum kind of setting. So obviously my skeptical hippo eyes were like, yeah, one kit that can do everything. Good luck. Uh, I was kind of shocked, quite frankly. Really? It, It was the first kit. I, I set it up both ways and tested it both ways. It was the first kit that once I got it dialed in tuning-wise, I didn't want to explore anymore. It just... This oh, did that, what it needed to yeah, do. Yeah. It yeah. has that, like, perfect Dave Weckel Russ Miller vibe. Like, the toms okay. just sound perfect in the kind of middle range, so I didn't want to go crazy with it. Like, okay, this is obviously designed to sound just like this. Um, so you want uh, listen to it and then dig more into the specs i would love to all right so let's check out both setups so we've got the big kit this will be the 12 16 22 they also sent a cherry bomb snare to use with it doesn't come with the kit but that is a mapex snare
0: So what what are you doing mixing wise? <laughs> <laughs> well I'm serious, like that that the exactly same. what you said it sounds like uh, like a weckle mix.
1: Yeah. And I didn't do anything different with these than I did with any other kit. I probably spent less time worrying about phasing and any kind of subtle EQ. It's just a standard mix that I would do on any kit if I'm going to record for somebody and send it off for them to do what they want. Is that bass drum wide open? Wide open wide open it oh, has oh. sort of a secret weapon batter head that i i think might have been a pick a week for a while ago for me it's the uh, renaissance power stroke three okay remo which has like a almost looks like a calfskin, like a translucent calfskin head so it's a little bit warmer and richer than the clear but not quite as dead as a coated that is the perfect batter head for me in a lot of situations they also mix the drum head so it's clear ambassador top and bop, bottom on the 12 Clear emperor on top of the sixteen clear ambassador on the bottom. It's a good idea. Yeah, not enough people do that. Um, yeah, it's another thing that that it isn't often considered enough. Clear heads. They didn't sound like boingy clear heads to me. Uh, yeah. So that is the rough tuned version of the big kit. Now let's check out the um, the Bob kit. So this has the 18th drum on the floor as a bass drum. It does come with a lifter and spurs. And then the 10-inch tom, and then the 14-inch tom.
0: Dude, that is drum candy. (laughs) Right? Like, I can even tell... I know I've I've heard every review you've done over the last three years. There's no way you would keep going back to the racked home like that for a review. That's you, like you personally digging it and be like, doo doo. And it's a doo doo. What did you say? <laughs> doo doo. Oh, oh, man. Yeah, again, I, wide open.
1: The bass drum is punchy, but wolfy. I mean, it, I was really blown away. No, so, all the, this is one what? of those kits where you look at the press release and there's so much kind of like, nerdy marketing science versus what is actually real kind of stuff. Okay. That, you know, I'm skeptical by nature. Yeah. I'm like, all right, whatever, man. What are they going to sound good? And they do. <laughs> so they yeah, so uh, whatever they did, it's pretty magical. Um, if I had one criticism, I don't love the Tom Mount, the big bulky looking thing. Yeah. Just because I don't always want to have to carry that that whole thing around with me there's no option to like use a just a standard L arm or anything with these toms you could put in a snare basket that would work fine but that's just the one thing for me like as as a gigging drummer i don't want to have to rely on that big bulky tom mount thing sure uh, but but that's just me being lazy not wanting to carry stuff man i mean sonically
0: and, and this finish this is like what like just a gold yeah it's like a gold top like a classic gibson kind of gold yeah. top um that's beautiful yep yeah. Really, really wow. impressed.
1: So if you get your t- a chance to sit down behind one of these Black Panther Versatus systems.
0: Um, oh, I'm, I mean, I'm definitely, this is appointment viewing over at Nam. I'm going to swing by. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say, I, I was, now I, I think you know, but do you know that that was my first endorsement was Mapex? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, so for, so I was a Saturn Pro. I, was, I had really? Saturn Pro in green and, uh in a green lacquer and then i had one of their black panther 12 inch brass snare drums so i was uh with mapex for two years before signing with dw and so there's like this part of me that's like come on guys i mean the black (laughs) panther series ruled the world for a while it's still it's still pretty killer absolutely uh but man i was not prepared to be this excited about a mapex kit this is pretty cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's, a, it's
0: it's up there competing with the biggest big dogs and the, the big dogs. I got to say, I mean, I have a few students that are definitely leaning that prog direction just to you know, bring it back to Neil. I think this is probably up there with all the kits that I would recommend of like, dude, just get this and you won't have to work. Yes, you can get any kit you want to do this with a lot of work. Uh, You know, high-end kit. No no gels, nothing on this sucker. Yeah, I mean, I know how you do this process, and this drum set sounds like you did something very different to it, and I know you didn't.
1: Yeah, no, nothing. Exactly the same. Same mics, same everything. So,
0: Watch out, Maypex. (laughs) Sneaky little biscuits. (laughs) So the
1: full review is over at ModernDrummer.com and the more extensive playing demo. But like I said, I didn't change the tuning. Once I got them tuned... It was like, that was like, do not touch these
0: things. They are where they need to be. Love it. All right, well, we have one extremely special listener question because we only have time for one extremely special listener question. So, Mike, you grab that really important listener question.
1: Okay, so this uh, this is from Dave. The, the drums are my number one passion, but I'm considering learning another instrument. Do either of you play other instruments? If so, what do you play, and what have you found to Im- found And have you found it to improve the musicality or other aspects of your drumming? Um, Yeah, that's it. And then he says, I would love to hear your debate about drum pads.
0: (laughs) It's not happening yet. for another day. We have have to prep for it. Uh, Okay, so I know your answer, and I think your answer is actually more important than mine. So I'll go quick, and then you can answer. I do not play another instrument. I absolutely, as an educator, think it would help All of my students, if they did play another instrument, but I would say I've taken up that time that I would have used to play another instrument to find other things that excite me about the drums and help me see the drums from a different vantage point. So for me, cameras, learning how to make better videos, learning how to edit video, that world is my second instrument. I put as much time mm-hmm. into it as I do even the drums. And so I think having something else besides the drums is extremely important. Uh, but if I could go back in time, yes, I would I would definitely play piano.
1: I think um, if I had to do it all over again, or if I had like a legion of, of young kids that were wanting to get into music, I would have them all learn drums, piano, and some kind of stringed instrument. So piano is where you learn all about music theory and harmony I mean it's all there you can't learn piano without learning intervals and chords and all that stuff stringed instrument like bass guitar you're learning the physics of what happens when you divide a string in half and getting all the harmonics so you're learning more about the science of music in that way because the instrument's kind of set up in a way that's not logical like a piano where you have to you have to think mathematical like if i divide the string in half that's an octave and i divide that in half again that's another octave so you're learning kind of the math the physics of music Um, and then drumming rhythm so i think bass guitar might be the one instrument that I would say every drummer should have a working knowledge of, because it's so intrinsically married to the drums. Definitely. And if you just learn one or two classic bass lines, like Another one Bites the Dust, and whatever, a Bob Marley line or something, it's going to change the way you think about your drumming. It just is. Because you're going to realize how the drum part affects the bass part, and how the bass part affects the drum part, and is there a bass fill? Is it a drum fill? So I think learning bass, which is where I'm kind of stuck at now. I've studied everything out of music degree, degrees. So I kind of learned it all, but bass is the thing right now that I'm like, this is affecting me as a drummer way more than anything else. Cause I'm just hearing the nuances of groove more.
0: If that makes any Great. sense. Yeah. Let's talk about practice pads. All right. So next week we will, we have a fiery <laughs> practice pad debate. <laughs> okay. So we are bringing you guys a slightly new segment. As you know, normally at the end of the podcast, we give you our picks of the week. But every once in a while, you can hear Mike and I rummaging around our uh, respective spaces looking for something to be our pick of the week. So we're going to give you something that we're truly passionate about, and that is our groove of the week. These are not the greatest grooves of all times. These are things that Mike and I just listened to as fans of music throughout the week and just said, Oh, that's a really cool groove. I never really noticed that before. Let's talk about it quickly. So... My Groove of the Week is by uh, friend and local hero, Abe Cunningham. This is from the album uh, by the Deftones, Koi no Yokan. And I believe, I haven't done a ton of research, but I'm pretty sure this was the first album after Chi went into his coma. So this was the first album they did with a bass player other than Chi. Mm. on. Um, and so I think they used the bass player from Quicksand right. um, for this one. And uh, so th- the cool thing about Abe... And I love about the Deftones in general is there's a lot of songs where they say, why don't we just start with the drums? And it gives you a chance to hear the drums, maybe with just a guitar riff, but the bass hasn't come in yet. So you can really hear the kick. And this is one of those classic syncopated Abe Cunningham grooves. So this is off the song Graphic Nature. what i love about that is it's a two-bar phrase mm-hmm. but it sounds like it's a two-beat phrase yeah right. you know what i mean it, it's like do 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 ka repeat to ka repeat a ka to to go
1: he's got that that ability to sound like he's always improvising
0: but when you really start digging in it's he's not improvising he is a pissed off david garibaldi (laughs) just fired up steve gadd
1: (laughs) god i remember the first time i saw them play on tv i don't know which late show it was but it was one where he started and i thought Uh like man i've never seen anyone go for the throat like that but still have all the subtlety like yeah. He was breaking stuff, but then I was hearing all those nuance. Like,
0: what is going on? Love it. He's still, uh, I can tell you from personal experience, I mean, I've, I've you know grown up with him. Uh, not super tight, but grew up in the same town with him, and we're tighter now. Uh, but he is 100% a mystery. I know <laughs> nothing about his approach. I know nothing about how any of this happens, and I love it. I just love being at the gym, listening to some Deftones, and still being like, that son of a gun. He got me again. <laughs> the first so, time I met him. Oh, boy.
1: <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure he had a fake, like, heavy Spanish accent the whole time. Uh, yes, was, that's like, 100%. He was just kind of talking in a like, is this guy, did he have a stroke? Like, what's going on here? I'm telling you, <laughs> if I see him
0: at NAMM this week, I guarantee he'll shout our area code. He'll go... Mike, 916, little oil can, Harry. And then I'll go, what? And then everyone looks at me. I'm like, don't look at me. I don't know what any of that meant. It's, he speaks in code. Uh, all right, what is your all groove right, so pick of the week,
1: sir? I'd ask you to pick a drummer before we started recording. You said Josh Freese, and I immediately thought, well, the first time I ever heard Josh Fries was when I was a skate punk in the early 90s, and I heard about this band, Suicidal Tendencies. So I went and bought a tape, Sight Unseen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I looked at the cover art, and it's it's got Mona Lisa on fire. I thought that's going to be exactly what I want to listen to. It's the album Art of Rebellion. Little did I know this was the one, and I believe the one and only record, that Josh Freese made with Suicidal Tendencies. He was probably 19 years old when they recorded it. It set the template for what modern rock drumming will forever be in my mind so we're going to check out just the first intro to tap into the power by suicidal tendencies josh freese just going for it
0: in that type of genre who's doing that on the hi-hats Josh Reese, yeah. No one else. Everyone (laughs) else just takes their foot off and throws it out like it's got a cast on it.
1: Yeah, Uh, Josh is another one that I think is he's like Neil, that where it's like he's crafting these perfect parts. That
0: I could see, I could literally see Maynard listening to that record and going, "That's the guy I want in Perfect Circle." Yeah, true. And when you you were playing it looking for it I was like are you playing the perfect circle track suicidal tendencies I'm like no I know suicidal tendencies there's no way that's suicidal tendencies 1992 that record
1: I think is a hidden gem if you're into just really badass rock drumming and also kind of metal vibe I mean suicidal tendencies is one of my favorite bands I think this is their best record it's called the art of rebellion because I'm biased Josh Freese is my favorite
0: rock drummer Ever done? Boom! There you go. I'll take it. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and got to learn a little bit more about one of our true heroes, Neil Peart, and uh, got to hear the surprise in mine and Mike's voice about the the Mapex What the Hell Kit, um, <laughs> the Versatist Kit. Yeah. Well, I think they should rename it the What the Hell <laughs> Kit. Uh, so everyone, have an amazing week. If you are headed to Nam. You will listen to this on Friday, and we will will <laughs> see you on Saturday morning. See you uh, but come up, at and 1 say o'clock. hi. <laughs> Friday one o'clock at the Big Fat Snare Drum Booth. Mike and I will be hanging out and doing a little jammy jam and fighting about practice pads.
1: All right, so we're going to send the show off with Justin Mason's beat. This is a song uh, called Brother. And what is he playing here? He endorses Los Cabos 6, um, and he is using a PDP concept birch kit, a mix of Zildjian Symbols, some Audix mics, all done in Pro Tools. This is Justin Mason. If
0: you want to find him online, it's at DrummerJM7. Thank you, Justin. And we are out of here. Thanks, Justin. Later, brother. See you in L.A. That's right. See you in a bit. Woo!